this is Stephanie. And this is Brian. Welcome to our podcast, The Making and the Remaking of a Codependent Mind. So if you made it through the previous episode, uh, you've heard us say that we are now shifting the uh, focus of the podcast now to a new kind of set of topics. New season. New season. But very related. (laughs) Yeah. And the idea is that we talk about and understand codependency as a collection of habitual behaviors that seems to arise. It's certainly, this is how it happened for you, that seem to arise from interpersonal stress in childhood. So trying to manage very stressful interpersonal situations as a child when you don't have a lot of skills to do that. So situations like abuse or neglect or emotional instability from the adults, a chaotic household. And really codependency is a set of behaviors directed towards interactions with other people or animals or whatever, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, the key is that you're not probably not really going to have display codependent behaviors if you're just on your own and there's not the thought of any other person involved. Tree falling in the forest. Or yeah, right. <laughs> and we mentioned this before, just kind of how challenging it is and almost kind of tragic that these codependent behaviors interrupted your ability to form healthy and intimate relationships, when that's exactly what you wanted and exactly what you needed to Mm -hmm. heal from the chaos and the abuse that you experienced when you were young. Yeah. And when I look back, and maybe this is the case for most people, but when I look back, I feel as though I can easily place the fact that I did want intimate relationships my whole life. I mean, that's... I think we all do. It's just fundamental to the human experience. And instead, it was just like, you know, I wasn't getting it. And, um, and I was making excuses for why I didn't get it to an extreme degree to where I kind of denied the whole definition of what it even meant at some points. So we're going to talk about in this season, the kind of foundational building blocks of relationships and how that foundation for you was really compromised by your codependent behaviors, and then how you repaired those building blocks, really, in some cases, learned what they meant or how to experience them for the first time. And we're going to start with the big one, which is intimacy. Right. And for us, intimacy is what really got us to where we are to begin with. These discussions that we have with each other, these deep emotional connected discussions, we'll get into what we mean by it, but this is what got us to where we are. So that's it's natural that this would be the number one topic for a relationship discussion. So let's do that. Let's talk about just kind of what's the general understanding of intimacy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's one of those terms that a lot of people sort of get lazy with too. Like so many mm-hmm. of the ones we talk about here mm-hmm. were kind of recognize people using it pretty much only for like physical or like sexual interactions. I'm going to get intimate with this person or something. Yes. So there's the, the sexual intimacy, yeah. <laughs> which we, I think, are all familiar it's there, with. It's as is a form of it. In, the, in that way, where mm-hmm. you know someone sexually in a way that you don't know most people yeah. <laughs> sexually. And people talk about other f- forms of intimacy as well. Uh, intellectual intimacy. Mm-hmm. Experiential, doing things together. Yeah. So sharing ideas and an intellectual life, sharing experiences. There's also one they call spiritual in- intimacy, where it's kind of like, do your values line up? Or if you're religious, does your religion line up? And even the way you practice that religion. For me, though, I think there's one ring that rules them all. Yes. And that would be emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. I think that's the one that really captures what a lot of us want and need from this word intimacy, which is this 
feeling of being known, being seen and being known. There's a person out there or people out there, hopefully, who you're intimate with. Those are the people who know you. Yeah. Who see your true self, who you allow to see your true self. And when you reveal yourself to them, respond yeah. in a positive way. And and yeah, and when you say no, you mean, uh, yeah, just really no. That's that's the key here. Not, um, oh, I know that you like to play pickleball or something like that. Or I know that you're, you know, a liberal or something uh, like that. There could be a lot of stuff behind that. But that's the key. What is behind that? Yes, I do play pickleball, but I don't know if I call myself a liberal. Maybe you don't know me at all. <laughs> well, I just threw out a couple of random things. A couple of random ones. I think also the other types of intimacy that we just kind of listed and that people talk about mm-hmm. can sometimes be a disguise for the lack of emotional intimacy. Mm-hmm. Or what I'm arguing is this kind of truest form of intimacy, the deepest form of intimacy. Yeah, and people can get by, see people choose to get by on say just experiential or intellectual Mm -hmm. and there could be any number of reasons why i mean it's it's just they may not want to let themselves be known or seen Mm -hmm. in that way maybe they don't know enough about themselves of course i mean i think there's a lot of reasons that maybe people wouldn't admit to and why they don't want to open up well let's talk about that because (laughs) (laughs) this is kind of what happened with you yeah Mm -hmm. for most of your life you had almost no intimacy right in your life. No emotional intimacy, mm-hmm. certainly. And that seems to have started, like we've said all along, in childhood with both the emotional life of your immediate family, kind of dominated by the emotional instability of your father and the way that was expressed and the way that that affected the whole family. Mm-hmm. And then also this five-year abusive friendship. What was modeled to me was kind of emotional avoidance and emotional immaturity. And then also, of course, the codependent behaviors that I formed of trying to manage other people's lack of ability to manage their emotions. And it seems like that childhood friendship and what you were learning from your father and your parents was that it is actually kind of scary to be known and to be seen, that you needed to protect yourself from other people, not reveal yourself to other people. Yeah, exactly. So it it was both that I didn't want to reveal myself, and I also didn't really want to know the other person either, because a lot of times I was ashamed of who that person was and what they were to me. So I got used to going, okay, well, I'm just going to this, I'm just going to grab onto whatever I need to grab onto here and just try to exaggerate that and go with that. So that's how you emerged from your childhood. It does sound like there was some recovery with this long-term friend that you had that we described in your early 20s. Yeah. And I remember actually using the word intimacy at the time. That's what it felt like. I, I understood enough about what it was to have emotional intimacy. And I felt we were making an honest attempt at it. And I felt as though I knew him and that he knew me. And you felt that connection that, that come, arises from that mm-hmm. feeling of being known and seeing that you were connected emotionally in, a, in an authentic way. Yeah. And so that really gave me a taste of, aha, yes, that is, that is what I want. You know, it kind of gave me this benchmark that I could pull from that I severely strayed from for the following, the 12 years that came after that. Those were the 12 years when you had back-to-back abusive relationships. Yes, with R and J, the people we've just described several times. And potentially you ended up in those relationships in part because while there was some recovery in this friendship in which you felt safe, you described it in in another episode that there was still a lot of, on both of your parts, kind of a lack of 
self-awareness. There was emotional immaturity. So it was difficult for the two of you to really be emotionally intimate. Yeah. I mean, we had so many long discussions, but the long discussions often consisted mostly of intellectual intimacy, really, when I think about it. So I remember thinking, oh, we're deep. We can talk about the universe and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But we weren't talking about the universe inside our brains, really. Like, it was just neither one of us understood what was going on. We would make parallels. Oh, oh yeah, I have problems with that, too. And that's kind of halfway there. But neither one of us figured anything out. So, And you've described to me this kind of pretty extended period where he started to really struggle mm-hmm. in terms of mental health, in terms of substance use. And that really wasn't talked about Yeah, between right. the two of you. Yeah, not in any way that was helpful. And I don't remember making any good suggestions. I It's almost like I didn't want things to change. You mm-hmm. know, I wanted just everything to, I, f- I feel safe with the way things are, even though he's having a really hard time. I just didn't want to believe that kind of. So then you move into these relationships with, with R and J mm-hmm. and then there's more trauma. Yep. New layers added, new layers of shame and fear and trauma and trauma responses that I've carried that I know come directly from those relationships, not just the early childhood stuff. So the early childhood stuff was amplified by that second round of trauma and all these codependent behaviors, as we've described over this podcast, were activated mm-hmm. and it amplified during that period. The, yeah. pe- the people pleasing, the compartmentalization, the shame avoidance. Mm-hmm. Basically, I got professional at my <laughs> codependency. <laughs> got very good at it. Graduate school. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Because I had to ha- build this web of things to just make myself not crumble into oblivion, you know? Like, I ha- you know, had to believe that I was existing for a reason and doing things for a reason. So it's a lot of hoops. Hello, this is Brian. I wanted to let you know that I wrote a book based on the first two seasons of this podcast, and it's now available on Amazon. It represents my most current thinking on both the origins of my codependency and the healing process. I think it's a good companion to the podcast. Um, So if you're someone who also likes to read as well as listen, uh, you might want to check it out. The link is in the show notes. So then... Um, we meet and both of us feel a very strong connection across all the intimacies. Yeah. And this is, I think, what's a little bit dangerous about those early times <laughs> mm-hmm. when you meet someone and you fall in love or you just get overwhelmed with, with feelings is that it kind of feels like real intimacy. It yeah. feels like you know this person and right. it feels like, oh my gosh, this person gets me. Right. Like, no one's gotten me. Like, this is amazing. We found each other. And when really you don't know the person almost at all. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> like when I think back, I mean, I felt just like this. I really felt I got you and you got me and we would just have this great connection. Like, I didn't know any of this stuff. First I know. Of all. Like I didn't know anything about you. And there was things you learned later that had you known at the time would have been made things really difficult to continue probably <laughs> i guess so <laughs> you know i don't know right so it's, maybe it's nice this little protective bubble that you're yeah that you go through early in the relationship if you recognize that that's what's happening that mm-hmm. it's just kind of this false sense of intimacy but one of the conversations that we had in those fairly early days not mm-hmm. early early but you know once we both realized or i realized that i was really having serious feelings and i saw a future together was about intimacy because I had had difficulties with that in a previous relationship, long-term relationship, where I did not feel a sense of emotional intimacy and therefore a sense of emotional connection. I didn't feel known and I didn't feel seen. Mm-hmm. And I expect other people have felt that. When you feel, when you're in what is supposed to be an intimate relationship 
and you don't feel known or seen. That's really lonely. That's a great word for it. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. That can be even more lonely than just being alone mm-hmm. because this person is supposed to know, know you and, and see you. And when I learned more about your relationship with Jay, because that was the most immediate one, it was concerning because there seemed to be an almost complete lack of intimacy in mm-hmm. that relationship. And so I was asking you about, did you want intimacy? And I brought up the fact because from what I could see, there was none mm-hmm. in your relationship with Jay. And you said some version of? I said, oh, we had intimacy. We sat on the couch and cuddled while watching TV. I mean, it was some version of that. So we cuddled all the time. I'm yeah. Like, all right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's the image that popped in my head. I was like, well, I, I'm scanning. Okay, no, we must have, right? At some, <laughs> some point, somehow, right? That was it. That was really, I mean... I guess you could say experiential, but everything was tainted with abuse and power dynamic. And so even that, there really, there was zero intimacy. Yes, because if we're, we're saying intimacy is being known and being seen, you didn't really know anything about her. No. And she didn't know anything about you. And we couldn't talk, right? Mm-hmm. I was afraid to talk to her. To so, reveal yourself to, yeah. to her. Like your hopes, your dreams, your fears, mm-hmm. those were never discussed. And I didn't want to ask her any questions because I didn't want to know more about her. I didn't, I, you know, I knew enough. So, and, and this was a, uh, you know, as we said, that was back to back with R and J. So this was an extension uh, of the same exact situation with R and with R, like the, the physical stuff completely ended too, for the last four years of the eight years, um, to where it was a bad roommate situation, basically like not even a friend, just a bad roommate, roommate from, from hell sort of situation. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, I mean, it was pretty close to that. With Jay as well. Yeah, yeah. She was just a slightly better roommate. Right. Yeah. Well, it was just, it, not really. No, <laughs> okay. not at all. It was just shorter. That's it. I mm-hmm. mean, I think it would have got to the exact same point eventually. It was just the whole relationship was only four years instead of eight. So as you said, some people are satisfied with just having these other type of intimacies in their relationship. Mm-hmm. They enjoy doing things together. They feel they have a good sexual connection and they're not comfortable, perhaps either of them, forming a really emotionally intimate connection with their partner. But that's not something that I wanted. And in fact, for me, those other types of intimacies, I appreciate, enjoy being part of the relationship. But Mm -hmm. for me, they almost seem like a distraction from the real deal. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they play a supporting role. They should be a supporting role. But if, if that's all there is, to me, that doesn't feel like intimacy. Yeah. Well, and all of that is at risk if you don't have the emotional intimacy, because it's like, what's behind all that? Mm -hmm. I I still suspect, I mean, this is going way on a limb, but I think everybody probably to some extent does want emotional intimacy, but it's making excuses like like we just explored with me. Basically, I just conveniently forgot about the most important part of intimacy throughout those 12 years. Because as we said, I had it with that friend and I even called it that. And I knew I wanted that. And then when I didn't have it and felt as though I was never, ever going to get it, I had to just go, well, I have this and that. And so I think that's what people wind up doing is just like, well, you know, this is good. You know, I, we do things together. I enjoy spending time. We even have great sex life. And, but then like when I say it's at risk, the sex life could be at risk because if you're not communicating your emotional wants and needs, then that may crumble at some point it's it's at it's and then you don't know why because you can't communicate about it so this is something i wanted and this is something you said you wanted although there were a number of discussions about 
whether that was true. Yeah, right. I know. Because <laughs> it was hard for me to take you at your word when you were still, again, saying that the relationship with Jay was fine. Even it was fine, even though there was zero intimacy. And my concern was it's hard to develop and maintain an emotionally intimate connection. It takes work. It can be scary. You have to be vulnerable. And if you're not really committed to it, you're going to probably not do that work and just fall back on these other intimacies to maintain the connection with me. And and I was saying, well, that's not enough. Right. So, I mean, to my mind, I wanted you to really want it, not just like, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, that sounds great, because <laughs> that wasn't going to be enough. <laughs> right. And like we've said before, you were starting all of those conversations, all of the difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, what? That's not giving you enough signs that I really did want this. It's just like, well, I can react when you bring up conversations, but as, and that's not enough long term because it's not enough give and take. It does have to go both ways. So those are some of the challenges that we faced in creating this emotional connection and this sense of emotional intimacy that we now share. One of them was, as you're kind of alluding to, was trust. That could I trust you in knowing what you wanted and in saying what you felt? And could I trust me? <laughs> and that became an issue as well, yes. Yeah. You you started, when it started to become more clear to you how much compartmentalization and emotional dishonesty, dishonesty and emotional suppression you had done, it was kind of, do I know myself enough mm-hmm. to trust myself? Yeah. So the, the building of blocks of emotional intimacy is somebody is knowing yourself to begin with. So if you don't have self-awareness and you don't know what your emotions are and how to interpret what you're feeling, what are you bringing Mm-hmm. to this emotional exchange. It's going to change. So part of the trust, building the trust, was that you're getting consistency from me. You know, so there was there was a little bit of a problem with consistency in the beginning because I didn't know myself well enough. You'd ask me a difficult question and I'd basically scan my body to see if I could figure out what I think the answer is, having never really thought about it before. And so when you ask me things like, um, what we just said about like, did were you did you have intimacy in your previous life? And then in the previous episode, you mentioned the story about where you asked me what my basically minimum expectations were for relationships. And I came up with an answer because you asked me a question, but it wasn't something I thought about before. So I didn't make the parallel that I didn't actually have those things when, as I was saying it. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't authentic. No. And you're, so your answers would change. Right. When I asked you about intimacy in your relationship with Jay, your response was not an honest authentic expression of your emotional life during those years. It was shame-based. It was, oh, I can't admit that we didn't have any kind of intimacy. What does that say about this relationship? Or what does it say about me that I was in this relationship? So you just throw up this this easy target. Oh, no, no, we cuddled on the couch all the time. (laughs) Well, and just completely forgetting that what we're said, like the emotional intimacy being the pinnacle, basically, Mm -hmm being the, the glue that holds all of the intimacies together. This kind of goes to what, you know, we had a shame venting episode, this shame-based communication, the problem that caused, right? So you respond to that out of shame, out of shame of not having that intimacy and not wanting to reveal yourself to me that you were in this relationship that was completely dysfunctional. But then that got you into a whole bunch of other <laughs> trouble. Yeah. Because then I was like, oh, this guy doesn't know what intimacy means. Or we have very different... I- expectations for intimacy in a relationship and then so we had weeks of discussion yeah. <laughs> about the fact that yeah you don't seem to know what intimacy is or but the interesting thing is is once i did start learning these things or relearning these things kind of in in some cases it was like no yeah i do want that i i just haven't had it why why haven't i had it now now we're just opening all these layers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And then, so there's like things that I said that were misleading because I didn't understand really at the time, but now it's like full circle. I came back to the, to the, <laughs> the original answer, but just in an actual authentic way. And that happened quite a bit, which is one of the reasons we're still here yeah. during that period. So mm-hmm. I would ask you a question or raise a topic of conversation and that your initial responses might be shame-based, might be fear-based, might mm-hmm. be, I don't know, because I don't haven't thought about this ever in my life. And those often weren't great conversations. Mm-hmm. But then you would go away and you would um, do research, you know, on the web, just looking up these terms. And as you say, just Lots of smart people have said smart things about intimacy and you would read about it and you would make notes and you would come back better prepared to have a conversation, both kind of armed with new knowledge that you've learned or relearned, as you mm-hmm. said, and also more honest speaking about your own experience and a willingness to be more vulnerable about that experience. Mm-hmm. And then that would build trust and it would build your own self-awareness which would give you trust in yourself as as well yeah so that's kind of how we started to bridge this gap and started to build some momentum for me and and we mentioned before too where i was kind of doing these these nightly thinking back on previous relationships or situations or even earlier stuff with us and and trying to apply all of this new knowledge to those things and then i would be starting discussions at night with you so now it's not just you just starting discussions. Now we're having more of an exchange of intimate conversations, even though, you know, I, yeah, I was, I was really scared in the earlier days of those conversations, but I knew this is what I wanted to be doing. I imagine it would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I remember often the look of fear on your face when we were having these type of conversations. I think though, most often that fear did not play out. That most often when you made yourself vulnerable, and open to me and admitted things to me about yourself and your past. One of them being, I don't know and I don't understand. And it's upsetting to not understand and know yourself. You were met with, what you should be met with is understanding and compassion. Mm-hmm. And then so the fear gradually diminished, the fear of intimacy, which I think you don't, yeah. you didn't really even know that you had. Right. And I didn't know much about the shame either. The mm-hmm. fact that there was just kind of this vein of shame like underneath all of it. And then how often I was triggered in those earlier days and didn't know about the triggers. So when I did get triggered, then I go into the freeze, which happened often. That face, that terrified face you're, t- you're talking about was when I was would go into freeze during a really difficult conversation. And now I can't think at all. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, my brain's just blank. But yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, I get triggers, but I resolve them. And I think what happens now more, you experience what I call an intimacy high, something I I certainly get when you have one of these conversations that is difficult because it's scary for both of you, because you're revealing vulnerabilities and you get through it and you learn something about yourself and you learn something about the other person. You just feel like so powerful. Yeah. And I think we do a really good job of getting through those conversations because some of them even nowadays can be very difficult. And it can seem sometimes in the moment like, oh man, are we going to get through this one? This is this is tough. We're both not enjoying this one here. And then we just keep at it and get to the get to the satisfying resolution. And this is a difficulty too. A lack of self-awareness and self-knowledge is absolutely a barrier 
mm-hmm. to intimacy. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Because if you, how can you be known if you don't know yourself? No, right. Yeah. What are you giving the other person? What are you showing? It's really hard to know yourself independent of other people. So a great way to learn <laughs> about true. yourself is to put yourself in dialogue, authentic, real dialogue with one other person or multiple people. Because I've learned a lot about myself, just even talking through your past, because that's opened windows to some of my behaviors, and now we're given more nuance and understanding. Yeah, and so the other big thing here, which I think we want to do an entire episode on, is vulnerability. Mm -hmm. So the ability to be vulnerable with the other person, to where it's like, this is risky. This, you know, I'm going to say something here, say something about myself, or even kind of more difficult, I'm going to ask something of you. And maybe I won't like what you say. Maybe I I have to make a decision like that doesn't line up with what I believe or what I want. And what do I do with that? And that makes me think of one intimacy challenge that we kind of ran into later into our relationship so much more recently, where we had gotten much better at talking about your past, our shared past, your challenges mm-hmm. with codependency and the codependent behaviors. You were feeling a lot of healing from the trauma. You were feeling a lot of distance from the traumatic events. Mm-hmm. And one thing I started to notice around that time was that we didn't spend a lot of time talking about me. If we were talking about me, it was in this way, like you were, your, your life has been, was the main plot. And yeah, my, it I was, started with I was the discussion a sub, about was, me. And then, I was a subplot. Yeah. An interesting subplot, but still in the, in the subplot. And though you didn't ask me questions really. Yeah. When I did talk about myself, it was me initiating those and you were a good listener, except for not asking me questions or, or prompting, not demonstrating that you were curious about me, which I think in terms of maintaining intimacy, emotional intimacy long term, you both need to be curious about the other person yeah. because you, you're recognizing there is another person there. Mm-hmm. You can never know someone completely. There's always things to discover and learn. And if you stop being curious about what those things are, then how is that connection going to be maintained? Yeah, this one really kind of threw us for a loop. And actually, it hasn't been fully resolved yet. Fully resolved, meaning I think we kind of figured out the various reasons why that is. But like so many other things, still not good at it. I'm not, um, I haven't developed the skill because I have, when I looked back, I was trying to figure out, huh, wow, yeah, I don't really recall ever being good at that. Or there were times where I actively avoided it which is part of the problem. You know, when I was talking about, you know, the R and J relationships, I didn't want to ask them questions because it implicated me. It, it led to abuse usually when I asked questions. But then also there's this self-centeredness that I didn't realize was there really for myself, especially when we were going through all this stuff, right? So we're talking about me, you know, I'm revealing myself now and figuring out things that are going on, but I'm sucking, sucking all the emotional energy out of these conversations because you're being amazing and and loving and helpful and all this stuff. But yeah, I'm not caring for you. Most of the time. Yeah, well, you know, being challenging too, you know, which is good. But like, yeah, I'm not caring for you in these moments. And there were there were a couple of times, there was a time like almost a year in where it was like, holy crap, we had to back up a little bit because like it's like a lost sight of empathy for a while there. I was like focusing almost exclusively on myself. So it's kind of like, oh, we're being intimate here, but at the same time there's like a backdoor blocks to intimacy going on that well, I wasn't even really aware of. That's a good way to put it, that you didn't develop that skill, the skill of curiosity. 
or, you know, we could also say it's a habit or it's a practice. I mean, yeah. it's something that is a muscle that you want to develop, being curious about other people and asking them questions and finding out about them. And that was just something that you never felt safe to do yeah. and or you never felt motivated to do. Because right. So with those people, I didn't actually care, especially with Jay, where I talked about just like really didn't even respect her as a person to begin with just kind of a silly ridiculous person yeah so the less you knew the better really yeah. in, in those relationships <laughs> yeah since the relationship that friendship that earlier friendship you never had the opportunity to kind of practice mm-hmm. that type of communication with someone to take responsibility really for maintaining that intimate connection by making sure you're checking in with that other person and that you're Right. And and so when I thought about that friendship, it was like, oh, I must have had it then. But then I didn't. Still, the two of us were just bringing things to each other. I was just used to that. Even even in what I considered to be a, uh, an emotionally connected relationship, I would say something revealing. And he would go, wow, wow, here's something reveal about me. Here's something, you know, just back and mm-hmm. forth like that. And so it makes sense, though, that when he was struggling, I didn't try to help. I didn't try to really check with him on what's going on and stuff because I figured, well, he's just going to tell me. And if he didn't, I'm like, well, shoot. I remember when I called it self-centeredness at first, you, you resisted that a little bit because it just sounded harsh or something. But, you know, I mean, just like everything what we talked about almost in this podcast, there's a spectrum <laughs> to where I don't feel I'm not extremely self-centered or something where where I'm just totally self-serving. Or, right. I mean, I think I was concerned it kind of sounded like narcissistic self-centeredness. Yeah. And it, it was just, it's almost kind of ironic with codependency because in so many ways you didn't have a strong sense of self. You didn't feel entitled, but you also had the self-centeredness. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and part of that self-centeredness was things like resentment or whatever, these whatever little passive forms of control that I had. Or when I was depressed, using that as, as an excuse for everything. And, and I think I was extremely self-centered for points and certain points in my life where I just could not get outside of my, my own brain at all. And well, and I think that's because in some ways you always struggled to take care of yourself because as a child, you were not taken care of to the extent that you needed to be. And on top of that, you were asked to take care of other people. Mm-hmm. So you weren't able to kind of fully develop the ability to take care of yourself in a healthy way. So you were in this kind of self-preservation mode all the time, Mm -hmm. which did not allow you much bandwidth to take care of another person. Yeah, I like that term. I forgot about that one, self-preservation. That's kind of like this knee-jerk, even though most of the time I'm really not even doing it well. That's like the shame reactions or something, the dishonesty. It's like self-preservation, but I'm shooting myself in the foot most of the time with those behaviors. Not only am I being dishonest and not discovering anything about myself, but I'm also distancing you and ruining our trust and ruining our intimacy and stuff by just doing knee-jerk self-preservation. I'm saying this in present tense voice. I don't do it too much anymore. <laughs> you don't. It's true. <laughs> but there's also uh, uh, the powerlessness that we've talked about so much pl- comes into play with the seeking out of information too. So I found myself not being very practiced at just seeking out information about the world and the universe, everything around me also. So I kind of had a passivity. If information came my way, oh, great. You know, so going on Facebook to get my news or something, headlines or, I mean, there were times where I researched things, obviously, but it's just seemed to always have this kind of vein of only if I had to or something, kind of in general, not that actively curious of a person because of this powerlessness, I think. So it's, it's not like I didn't want to be curious. And if information did come my way, I would find it fascinating and very 
good to know. Right. We, I mean, we always had really interesting discussions. So it took me a while to kind of realize this dynamic. Because again, early on, you just you just want to talk to each other all the time. And yeah. there's no, no one has to do any work kind of making sure, mm-hmm. again, that conversations happen. But as you move on in a relationship, it's more natural that you're going to be occasionally sitting on the couch and no one, no one's talking and someone has to start a conversation. And that's when it became more clear that not just difficult conversations, just conversations in general were generally started by me. Yeah. And then when you started to bring this up, I had a hard time because each time you did bring this subject up, it gave me shame and the shame would trigger me. And uh, so there'd be a lot of times where you were getting kind of overwhelmed with this new knowledge that you had and the fact that, okay, well, here we go again. We just have been talking about you for the last hour and you would say just something very basic, ask me a question. And that question would send me into a shame spiral. Right. So yeah, I started to do that, ask you to ask me a question. Like yeah. I want I I want to be asked a question. And yeah. it would trigger you, like you would have to perform or you would be judged when really it was about me trying to express vulnerability and say, mm-hmm. like, I want to be asked a question. I'm, I'm feeling like you're not interested in me. Yeah. I, I'm feeling unseen. I want to know that my partner wants to know things about me. Can yeah. you ask me a question? And the difficulty when I would get triggered, especially before we understood what the triggers were, but even after, the trigger compounds the situation. I'm, so I'm going into freeze and I can't think of a question because I'm in freeze. My brain's not working. And it looks like I just don't have, I'm not interested. It, just, it makes it even worse, right? You're like, oh, so you're not curious. Now you can't even think of one question? Right. Like, come on, really? <laughs> but we talked our way through that as well. And that's something that, that you're practicing, as we're saying, yeah. and developing skills at. And I now understand where that comes from. And I don't take it personally. And I can bring it up when I see it happening, when I may be feeling again, somewhat neglected or unseen. And and you respond with care rather Mm -hmm. than with fear. Yeah, so you understand it, but you still, it still needs to happen. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, all this stuff, this is, that's part of an intimate relationship, the work. The work part of the relationship. That's the work that I was talking about way back and mm-hmm. that I was afraid that you were either not motivated to do or maybe we were not capable of doing. And I think there'd be some times where you also thought, like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't yeah. know if I can deliver on the emotional intimacy front. Mm-hmm. But you definitely have so far. Yeah, well, and, and the more we talk about all this and the more I learn about all this, the more it's just like, it's vital. Like, I feel like this is half, that is what this relationship is all about. And that's what I want for the rest of my life. Something were to happen to you or something, I'm not going to spiral back into some emotionless, abusive relationship or something, you know? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So we started with intimacy because for both of us, that's really maybe the most important building block. And We'll continue in a couple of weeks on another foundational relationship topic. And we hope you'll join us. 